Hi everyone, and welcome to DP's Creative Circus. In this podcast, I chat to Dave Gornon, also known as Mexi. Mexi's an MC, as well as a beat maker and a producer. He's been on the Irish hip hop scene since the mid to late 90s. And in addition to this, he was the co-founder of Kings of Concrete, which is Ireland's most successful urban culture festival. So without further ado, please enjoy my podcast with Mexi. Uh, let's talk about hip hop. Let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's get into it. Um, what I was going to ask you was, um, I'm going to kind of go back to the beginning. So sort of what inspired you to kind of want to be an MC in the first place and get into the whole scene? Yeah, probably as with anybody who's into music, it's a long story. Um, I'd shoot back to about 94, 95 and uh, making, trying to make my own music. Once the rave scene started, I think, uh, I suppose around the start of the 90s, you had the rave scene coming up and hip hop and grunge. And I, at the start, I suppose I was more into the rave scene. So I, try, I was trying to figure out how to make this music. Um, I suppose at that time there was a misconception that buying a set of decks mm. set you up to make music, but uh, we uh, we know that that's a limited sort of a limited way of making making music. But yeah, I suppose I suppose I'd done a bit of research. I used to buy some magazines like Sound on Sound, and Future Music, and realised I needed to buy drum machines and synthesizers. Mm. This was before the age of the VSTs and laptops and stuff. So okay, cool. Um, a different world now at this stage. Mm. Like um, saving up to buy say, his first drum machine at 15 or 16. Um, then just connecting it to a synthesizer and an old Atari 1040 ST, mm. which uh, a lot of people were using for sequencing back then. After, uh, I suppose after a few years of that, I said to myself, the music was missing something. And that was mm. obviously vocals. Um, I would, wouldn't have been like a a skilled vocalist, so... Yeah. I said I'd try rapping over it myself. Cool. First, first results of that were probably around 99, mm. 2000, and uh, probably wouldn't like to hear them back now. <laughs> it's always you know, interesting, though. If, yeah. At that time, I wasn't aware of any any Irish rappers or anybody even. Because mm. before the age of social media and mm. the internet in general, it was hard to like not even just reach out, but even be aware of other active artists whether here or in other countries i suppose it hadn't dawned on me around that time that we actually had an active hip-hop scene here and mcs and stuff but um yeah everything after that was a natural progression mm. obviously with the advent of social media and forums and stuff you had irishhiphop.com and myspace all emerging yeah I a couple of years right. after my mm. first foray into vocal stuff but uh at that stage, I wouldn't have called myself an MC or a rapper. I was just doing something that I needed to do to make my music complete. Yeah. You know? Um, and everything from that, I suppose, progressed. Like, uh, even for the, the following 10 years, I wasn't probably happy with any of my lyrical output. And listening back now, I can probably find bits and pieces that were, that I'd be happy with now, but... Uh, Overall, as a whole, a lot of my uh, songs were probably uh, the focus was probably always more on the mu actual music and mm. the songwriting element than 
creating sounds and rhythms and stuff, putting them all together and having something finished, like a finished product, mm. so I can listen back to and be happy, happy with. And I think in the last 10 years, that's come to a, a stage where I'm actually happy with my output, mm. you know? Um, probably an uphill struggle, like when, when I was making uh, rap style beats, um, from say 2000 to 2010, there wasn't that many active Irish producers of that music. Mm. Um, could probably count 10 to 20 who were actively putting out stuff for the world to hear, you know. Mm. So for me, that was probably an experimental stage. And do you know what taught me a lot? Is I put out a mixtape in 2007. Um, and before that, I had a a very experimental album around 2003 2004 so yeah learn from all that stuff and obviously cds are gone now but it's like it's in theory it's still the same whether you're putting out cds or putting out stuff on online you know yeah yeah so yeah big big learning curves and uh yeah like, like i suppose it had i had the time to just work on lyrics and vocal production and stuff um yeah, probably be well ahead even of where I am now. But I think my focus with, with everything creative is always divided. Mm. And that's obviously time-based and you got to prioritize. And for me, it was more of a getting my beats to the level that I was happy with. And, mm. Mm. you know, like it, it's, it's got to match what's, what people are hearing everywhere else. So mm. yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that now. And uh, if people don't like my music now, it's a matter of personal taste, I would say, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all part of it. I mean, um, as you said, I mean that's that's a good spanning, probably like ten years before you really perfect your craft, and that's very natural for most artists. Anyway, you want to kind of get to that level, I suppose, and to capture an audience and engage people as well, and continue to engage engage people. Um, it's the process is the most important part. I'm guessing. I mean, I'm I, I'm not a beat maker, and I'm, I'm not an MC, but I am a creative practitioner too, and I understand what goes into a craft and majority of it is, is time. It, it is very labor intensive and it's, it's trial and error, isn't it? Yeah. Like, uh, you got your, you got your 10,000 hours and mm. like I put that in probably tenfold on uh, production and editing stuff on synthesizers and stuff like that. So yeah, as, as it goes with being an expert at something, I would consider myself an expert in production. Mm. and a lot of things relating to that um lyric writing and stuff probably getting there now on yeah like a the, the the quality control in my mind now is much more uh it's much more dominant force when i'm putting something out and i probably learned that from putting out early stuff and getting mm. slated which was actually a good thing Um a lot of people can't take criticism but now at this stage in my life uh not that I care what anyone thinks, but I, I, I can spot like creative, constructive uh, feedback rather than just uh, just trolling online, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a um, big help. Um, put, putting out music, I suppose, in the, in the noughties online, mm -hmm. it was probably the first wave of like uh, trolling. Yeah in history because usually like mu musicians up to that point in time put stuff on the radio and didn't actually hear what people were saying about their music right they were yeah, just yeah. going off record sales and stuff so for 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 my generation and every probably every generation from now on yeah uh, you have to deal with that and you know it's like 
the effects of that can uh, probably turn a lot of people off, but my uh, my mind frame doesn't doesn't uh, allow that sort of uh, impact. You know, yeah, you've you've gone into that that higher echelon of thinking now. You've gone into that the next well, level of stuff. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think age could be a factor here. That at a certain point in your life, you realise that uh, what other people think is none of your business, and just got to keep doing your own thing. You know. Yeah, it's a fair point. Uh, obviously, yeah, with with age comes wisdom, and with that, you you know, you become hardened by the world a little bit as well. So yeah. you think you care less of kind of what people's opinions of you, and certainly if it's not very constructive as well. So you, it's it's good that you can just kind of filter that shit out too. You know. Yeah. Couldn't um, care less anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck those people. <laughs> it's, uh, there's, always, there's always haters in every game, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's human nature as well. Like Sometimes I see stuff or hear stuff, and I'm like, you feel compelled to comment, but yeah. usually, usually if I do go to that effort, I uh, actually try and make an effort to like sound reasonable, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. And going back to those early days, um, who do you think were your kind of strongest influences when, when, when you'd already kind of, um, you know, gained an understanding of the, all the equipment you're using and you started uh, mixing your own beats and producing your own material and then, and then obviously into the, the lyricism behind that and, and writing lyrics, who would kind of be your, that stand out in your mind, who were really driving you to kind of perfect your craft? I suppose... Um... Yeah, well, when I talked about the the battle in me between production and and lyrics, mm. um, the the lyric the lyricism, I probably wasn't trying. I wasn't actually trying um, up until the mid nineties mm. when Irish Act started raising the bar for me personally. Um, when the likes of Terrorist came out, mm. I said to myself, "Here, we're dealing with something different than mm, uh, totally." Suppose what I had anticipated. Mm. Um, I know before that you had the likes of Rob Kelly and mm. you had other guys, Rira. You, know, you, you had a lot of guys who were good. But I think I think personally the terrorists came out and he raised the bar mm. of what, sh- what should be expected. Mm. And uh, I, th- I think he inspired an awful lot of people. Uh, and for me, lyrically, probably, uh, yeah, he, he, pr- he probably impacted me. And I said at that stage, wait a minute, we were actually batting above our weight in Ireland at the minute. Right, yeah. and uh, everything that came after that, like I would consider the lyricism in Ireland to be well above, on average, like any other country in the world at the minute. Like maybe, maybe UK and the US and stuff are mm. like what you hear is more more radio friendly content, and mm-hmm. that's why you see such like poor lyricism and stuff. But mm. man, like put put terror up there with the best, like you know. Mm. To be honest, and then you've little dialect, and you have a lot of lads that are just like so far above. Because Costello, like the, there's loads of them now that are just yeah. so far above where you place the bar for good lyricism. Yeah, the, Ireland is just like it's standout, and you know what? It shouldn't be surprising because of our history and our yeah. culture, like, the the lyricism and the storytelling, and like it, it's just way above the rest of the world. And even if you look at the battle scene, like mm. the the guys in the battle scene are like. I would say they're above like the the standard in the US and the UK yeah. as well. Like I mean, we are batting above our weight. I mm-hmm. suppose uh, I'd love to get to the stage where our producers are at the same level. I know our DJs have been at that level for like going back to the nineties, maybe even eighties. Yeah, yeah. But just to see everyone else following, it's uh, it's 
a magical thing, you know. It's brilliant, yeah. I mean, and and I totally agree with what you're saying because the as it stands right now, the the Irish hip hop scene have come on leaps and bounds. I mean, and it's gotten a lot more recognition than it did prior ten years ago. Um, definitely, I think a lot more people have really taken it seriously, especially the music industry as well. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting as well what you're saying too about um, the promotion side of things too, because. Um, you worked as a promoter for a while, didn't you? You, you, and as a host, as an events host. Yeah, but what happened to me was, uh, I suppose, throwing myself fully into this uh, in the early noughties, um, started doing gigs very quickly, probably before I was ready. But um, I think this, the, the stage performer in me came out, it actually came as a surprise, it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, I, I would have been quiet enough, guy, but. When I get when I got on stage for the first time, it was like Jesus. There's somebody, there's someone in here that mm. uh, I don't recognize, and I like it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. But uh, the, the, the fire, probably the, the fire came out. Yeah, 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 for, yeah, for performing, and as I said, with the lyricism, had I had the the lyrics to pack a punch, mm. who knows where, where that would have went then? Mm. But like, it you can't change the past, and you just got to keep building on what you've learned. So, mm. um. But what I did learn was that I was good at hosting mm-hmm. events. And uh, there was lots of opportunities for that, especially if you're willing to go out and make them. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like for, for a good few years, I was very busy hosting breakdance battles, beatbox battles, um, like rap events, uh, even into other stuff like Toys for Big Boys and stuff ended, like Eurocultural Festival, Kings of Concrete, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, Ended up hosting an, an awful lot of stuff that never would have happened had I not got up and mm. rapped on the mic on a stage. Um, I suppose I'm one of those people that grabs every opportunity. And if someone asks me to do something, I just think about it quickly and say, is, the, is it possible for me to do that? And usually the answer is yes. And mm. you'll figure it out all then in, in the interim, you know? Yeah, yeah. And go for it. Absolutely. I think that's, that's really kind of uh, important as well to just to keep active and keep kind of um, in contact with people. And there's always something going on, I suppose, in that scene, in that space too. Um, yeah, until until March this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's true, like, you know. Uh, hopefully when this does all blow over, if it ever blows over, you know, we can kind of go both get back into that space again. I know you're probably um, edging to do something again, uh, especially in front of a, a live audience. I mean, that would be brilliant, you know. Yeah, you know, like with with the with the way that uh, my career in music and events has progressed, uh, I've moved into other things like um, film talks and stuff, bringing over actors and film professionals, and that's something that was cut short by by the uh, the COVID thing. But you know, it'll, it'll come back again, like yeah. everything else. So. Yeah. But yeah, for for me personally, um, yeah, picking up the mic for the first time. And rapping at an event, and uh, you know, it, it it blossomed into something much much bigger for me. And uh, mm. you know, it's a uh, it's part of who I am now. You know. Yeah, yeah. And with the Kings of Concrete, um, I know that you were a co-founder of that festival. Um, was it was it kind of somebody said to you, "I have this idea. I'm going to put on a festival." Uh, do you want in uh, we need a host or was it kind of like 
um, the collaboration that you did with with the actual uh, colleagues yours at the time that were trying to put it together was it kind of like you kind of knew about it was one of your ideas as well or or was it do you know what I mean was it kind of a, a natural organic progression to build that yeah festival? Well, what happened with it was uh, I had been hosting lots of different breakdance events and I mm. think I was doing something I think it was in Spirit Nightclub um, I know Republic of Loose were playing and mm. we had a breakdance battle before they come on um, and I think the guy came over to me he was introduced to me his name was Dave Smith Mm -hmm. uh, he was introduced by Arkham from Project 77, another hip hop group. Um, he 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 told Dave that uh, I was the guy to talk to about hosting breakdance battles. But uh, he said, "Listen, uh, setting up this new urban street event uh, called Kings of Concrete, and I, I want to have breakdancers at it. So what do I need to do?" So I sat down with him and said, "Listen, this is what we need to do." Um, mm -hmm. I suppose uh, let let me secrets out here now about it was that what I envisaged for this thing because I, I knew what sort of scale they were talking about. This is a big, this is probably the biggest hour of an event in Dublin City every year for however many years that it ran. But mm -hmm. I knew that if we had the space that was being planned, mm -hmm. we had the crowds that were expected, and we had the BYs there that we needed with the DJs that we needed. That this thing was going to be special, you know. Mm -hmm. So. My uh, my input into this was to make sure that the focus was on making sure that the prizes were big enough for the break dancers to actually come to the event because there is issues with events in Ireland that people won't travel to say Cork or they won't travel to Limerick and they won't travel from say Belfast mm. to Dublin. And, you, yeah. you know, I just wanted everybody there and I wanted them to inspire like a new generation of of b-boys and people who are interested in the culture because mm. obviously you got families there and you got like thousands and thousands of people coming through on the day mm. so uh, i wanted it to be fun i wanted the, the dancers to be happy i wanted the djs to kill it basically yeah yeah um the first year was probably like experimental uh we let the crowd i think we let the crowd judge the battles, which made an awful lot of noise. It was an awful lot of crowd participation, mm. which is exactly what I wanted. Yeah. You know, the B-Boys, the B-Boys probably hearing this now even will be saying, nah, this needs to be judged properly yeah, yeah, yeah. by experts. But the, the context for me was like, let's create a spectacle that draws other people in, which it did because I know that there was, in the later years, there was people dancing there who had seen it for the first time at the first one or the second one or whatever. So yeah, it it had the had intended effect. So yeah, well, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have considered myself a co-founder of the festival. That was all done by Dave and the guys yeah. at Micromedia. But as far as the breakdancing part, yeah, I would claim uh, a lot of the credit for putting that together. A lot mm -hmm. of the behind the scenes work and planning. Um, yeah, we brought we brought guys over from all around the world in the end, and you know some of them ended up staying in my house with me and. Um, yeah, it, it 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 grew into something bigger and something that everyone wanted to be part of every year. It's yeah. sad to see it gone now. I did try and bring something similar back yeah. a few years ago, something that I started in Limerick, and uh, I think I just lost momentum with it. And, you know, I said that this is something that I can keep on the back burner and bring back at a later stage, but, you know, um, it's something that is missed. It was a brilliant event, and uh, it, it probably... F did, the disappearance of it probably followed a pattern that was happening around the start of the last recession. Um, yeah. 
I remember at the time I saw festivals starting to disappear one at a time and obviously then it, it, it came close to home when uh, the likes of Euroculture was cancelled because that, that was a that was a festival that gave me my own stage one year to put on Irish hip-hop acts and stuff like that. So once it disappeared, then Kings of Concrete followed. It's like we're looking at a barren landscape here. Right. And, and even all of the other breakdance events, there used to be used to be a ripe calendar for all that stuff. But uh, I think at one stage it boiled down to three different sets of crews putting on stuff. And I don't even know how many of them are still. There's a couple of guys still active. There's uh, Toby. He, he's still doing stuff. And um, Leon Dwyer, he's still doing stuff. Cool. And as for Belfast and Cork and Limerick, mm. and I know Bazzy B and Limerick has always done great stuff down there, mm. and he's always running small events and dance stuff. Yeah, but uh, I think we need Kings Concrete. We need something like that back, you know. I, I totally, I totally agree. I remember going to the second and the third one, and that was the first time I discovered it. And um, I have to say, by by the second one, because I, I never saw the first one, but my impression of the second one was well, it was really well organized, and it. It had it had already attracted a fairly big crowd, uh, definitely an international crowd. I mean, there was people there from um, the UK, there was Northern Ireland, um, there was sponsorship too. As far as I remember, there was there was a a push to get all these street artists over from Europe and to do installation work in and around uh, Wood Key, where the the site, yeah. the original site for KOC was. And um, there was like the likes of Montana Paints were there. I thought that was brilliant, and I I assume that was probably. Um, a collaboration with yourselves and All City Records at the time. Um, but I mean, I could be wrong, but um, I found that I thought that was really impressive that the amount of organization that went into it from the get-go. Yeah, you know? I was probably, uh, I was removed from all of that side of it. That, all that side was handled by Micro, Dave Smith from Micromedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Micromedia are actually the crowd that organize all of the, well, a lot of the flyers in um, the flyer boxes around the city. Mm -hmm. So um, they're obviously involved in the entertainment industry, but they they ran the festival. I was probably my sole responsibility was the breakdance battles. Yeah. I didn't even really, I didn't even really have time to explore all of the other stuff that was going on at Kings yeah. of Concrete. And um, I was always so busy because, as well as hosting it, I was organizing and making sure in my head that you know everybody knew what was happening next, and like that I knew what was happening next because obviously you got loads of different DJs all looking for their time slot and I, I needed to make sure that the right DJ was on for the breakdance battles. And there was a lot of stuff in my head in the background that needed to be yeah. focused on. So often I didn't get to uh, enjoy the festival like a lot of other people did, but obviously that, that comes with the signing of the contract. Do you know what I mean? That, that comes <laughs> with the terms and conditions. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a large scale event and, uh, yeah, it was class. Uh, I wish it was still going. Even if I had no involvement, then I wish it was still going. For, oh, yeah, yeah, it's something that you'd still attend. Oh, I, I'd still go to it as well if it was still going. And you know, obviously, we didn't have this COVID thing. You can do I'd more go, of these I'd things. Go, even, even if I wasn't involved in it, with your go. face mask on, <laughs> fifteen people at a festival. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'd be, we would be a bit of crack, I suppose, though. Um, ah, yeah. Uh, what I wanted to discuss was kind of, uh, and it's going back to kind of your craft back then and kind of now is the technological side of things. I mean, when you started, um, it would have been all analog systems and you're talking about drum machines and you're talking about 
these various different pieces of tech that that were revolutionary back then and then now in the digital age um do you still use any of that stuff do you do you like kind of using any kind of lo-fi stuff or are you all just very much gone digital as in terms of your ableton and logic and pro tools and maybe using uh akai mpc i always mix that words is it akai akai is that the akai yeah akai that's it yeah yeah so uh, i suppose when when i'm making music there's no there's no set formula to make a music. Sometimes I'm just playing something on a synthesizer and I say to myself, right, I need to get that into the laptop now. So I suppose whichever sounds better, whether I create it, recreate it in, in the software or mm. I play it in from the synth. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really affect the end result. Whichever sounds better is what I do. Mm. Um, nobody, nobody out there cares. No one who hears the song is going to care what it came off. So, mm. But for me, I love creating sounds and love creating textures with with uh, synthesizers and stuff. So I'll never, I'll never stop doing that. Mm. But it, 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 I suppose it depends on the context. Like it, I mixed a band um, over the lockdown, mm. and I did it all in the box. I didn't done it all in the uh, in the computer mm. because that was the easiest thing for me to do to get it sounding the way it needed to sound. Yeah. And um, when it comes to then. Did like sound design for companies and stuff. Mm. I would uh, I'd mess around with synthesizers to see if I can figure out where I need to go mm. with a concept or whatever. Um, but yeah, like it, it, it totally varies. I'm, mm. I'm never just like a never just like a one route approach to things. And what sort of what sort of companies are you working with or currently working with, or are you allowed to kind of divulge a lot or? I'm trying to think back. I've done some stuff for uh, I've done done some sound design I think for Beats Medical. Mm-hmm. Um, done stuff for uh, I can't remember what the name was like a PR firm. Um, okay, cool. Uh, then obviously done a soundtrack for um, for a reproduction off the town for Limerick City of Culture. This is a few years back. Dad, he's got the soundtrack on. That's good. Yeah, done done a full soundtrack for that. We had six sold out shows mm-hmm. down in Limerick uh, in the milk market, and uh, every one of them was standing ovation. So the Irish independence seemed to think it was incredible. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, you're, you're you're happy with stuff like that because it's obviously not something that uh, not something that I was planning on doing. Mm-hmm. It sort of came to me like most opportunities. It came to me, and then then I got stuff for TV. Done music for Republic of Loose or Republic oh, cool. of Telly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Telly on, um, on RTE. Mm-hmm. Um, then stuff for RTE radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, it's just, just been an awful lot of different periphery stuff, along with mixing the odd band here and there and yeah. uh, getting beats to different people. And you know, There's always something going on. There's mm-hmm. always something that I've got to do next, you know. Mm-hmm. Do do a lot of uh, video work for small businesses as well. Yeah, and uh, what I what I do is I always slip in my own music into those videos so that uh, there's no copyright issues down the line. And yeah, yeah. Because yeah. videos aren't taken down when they get it. Good of course, reach, you know. Yeah, we got to be way more careful nowadays. More than yeah, you know, a lot of the social media sites are just clamping down on that stuff now, which which I could have anticipated. So it's probably one of the reasons, even from from learning music law in the '90s at Sound College. Um, I knew that copyright was one of those things that I wanted to avoid because, like, 
as a creator, I don't want anyone ever saying, wait, that's not yours. Do you know what I mean? And I know that there is an, an, an awful lot of people in hip hop who sample stuff and they do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, even like the the company side of it, like if I'm like a film videos as well. So if I shoot a video for business, all of the sounds and music that goes into it is my own creation. Obviously for, for copyright reasons, it's a benefit to do it that way. The, the clients are happy that their video will never be taken down. Um, and then, uh, you know, like sound design, as I said, that you uh, might have been offline. Uh, done music for Republic of Telly mm. on RTE. Done some recording stuff for RTE Radio and um, jingles and stuff for other radio stations and uh, theatre soundtrack stuff. And uh, work work with um, work with um, a guy who is. Um, He's a Marvel artist based here in Ireland. Cool. Um, I've done I've done a thing with him. His name's Declan Shalvey. Yeah, he, 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 I think he does Deadpool and a few other. Uh, he's an he's an artist. Like, he's worked for DC and Marvel. I think. Wow. Yeah. Um, he released a, a graphic novel a few years ago with a, a guy called Philip Barris. I think his name is. Um, <laughs> they they released a graphic novel that was set in Limerick in the nineties. It was called Savage Town. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I met him. Uh, I met him, and um, I, I just just on the off chance I pitched the idea. Listen, could we turn maybe a chapter of this into an animation and add some soundtracky stuff to it? And uh, ended up doing that, and it was uh, played at the launch night for that for that uh, graphic novel in Limerick a few years back. Also got a guy called uh, he's an MC uh, Limerick based MC called Dirt. Mm-hmm. He done a, a sort of a monologue. To the um, to the animation, so it was a uh, was something different that I don't think had been done before here. So it was sort of a was sort of an urban sound and soundtrack to a very gritty graphic novel. Um, yeah, stuff like that I always find to be fun and interesting and something that I, I like doing stuff I haven't tried before. So mm. it it was a good one for me to tick tick a box off on that. So was this a um, digital graphic novel? Was it like something you can See no, it's actually uh, it's actually a hard copy. Okay. Um, it should be should be still copies of it available in most of the comic stores. Mm. Um, obviously working getting a chance to work with something like someone like that was a was a nice um nice experience. Pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, but like like that always open to other things. There's like I can't even think of all the different stuff that I've done now at the minute. But uh, it did on the sound. Sound and audio front, I'm pretty much always busy. Yeah. Um, like it, you know, taking on all of these extra things, like even the video, mm. film, film, as I said, film stuff for uh, businesses and even the odd wedding and stuff. If someone needs it, that knows me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, it, it all takes time, and then it's all pulling me away from production and making my own music. But mm. um, also involved in uh, print design. And mm. That's one of my side things. I have a print design. Um, yeah. the page is retro cool shit on Facebook. Uh, sell a lot of designs through there. A lot of them hip hop oriented as well, cool. and sci-fi music. Then a few few other creative things that I do, and uh, they're all sort of vying for time. It's like a battle of what what do I do? But yeah, I think when uh, when my son arrived five years ago, uh, it probably impacted my time to set up everything in the studio and mm. make music. I started doing graffiti canvases and stuff, and yeah, you know, a few 
a few of them sold and I sort of just kept evolving on that idea that yeah. it's going to create my own things and sell them. So Very good. Yeah. That's cool. That's a lot of stuff in the pipeline, like a lot of little uh, creative mixtures going on kind of all at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 if I find it difficult to uh, to just sit there idle, I've always got to be doing something. So yeah. I think, uh, I've got a very logical mind as well. So I try to utilize my time well. Yeah. Um, obviously, the results always don't uh, don't suggest that, but uh, everything's trial and error, you know. Yeah, yeah. True that. I hear that. Um, go back to things like. Um, the Lyricist Lounge, I remember going to the Lyricist Lounge uh, every Sunday evening um, when it was on. This is, this, is a, this is a blast from the past for you. Um, you were quite involved in the Lyricist Lounge. As far as I remember, you were you had hosted events in there too. Uh, no, I actually didn't have anything to do with Lyricist Lounge. Except oh, did you not? Oh, no. not directly. Uh, was you, it? you probably met me out of there. I went... I think I went to it a couple of nights. One of the nights I was involved in a beat battle, and uh, I think I think I think it was possibly the first beat battle in Ireland. That was set up by uh, Flip, DJ Flip and yeah, Madman, yeah, Adam Fogarty. I think um, I think it was them two that set it up yeah. in the was it the Grafton Lounge? I think it was called it was that Grafton that. Lounge. Yeah, yeah, because it's now called the Lemon and Duke or something. It's just kind of yeah, Lemon Duke bar. <laughs> That's still a nice place. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's owned by the dog man. Uh, what was it? Yeah, one of them rug, rugby. Players. Yeah, someone told me it was it was some connection with Leinster. All right, Leinster rugby yeah. team. I think I think uh, three or four of them lads own it. But uh, yeah, yeah, nice spot. But, um, yeah, no, I said uh, I was only there for a beat battle. Oh, all um, right, so you were just participating then? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was participating. Yeah, I was asked would I do a beat for it. Obviously, there wasn't that many producers in Ireland back then, so. Mm. Uh, luckily enough, got the call up for it. But uh, that was a good one for me because I met a guy called Wes Nile. He was in the rap battles. He's a Detroit rapper mm. who I spent probably the next five or six years working with as Icarus Rising. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, so yeah, once uh, once he came out to my studio, I played a beat, and that was our first song that we created, Unstoppable. Um, yeah. It went down well with a lot of people and got us a lot of gigs on the festival circuits. So. Um, we were very busy for a few years, um, but uh, he he moved back to the states, so it's obviously more difficult to uh, to do stuff like that. I think the goal now with music is that you create music with mm. the intentions to perform it live. So mm. yeah, it's difficult when the other half of the group is in a different country. But yeah, we had some good times. We played a lot of uh, played a lot of festivals and supported a lot of big acts, and uh, you know we were. Uh, they were very active for a good few years. We still have we still have more material to release as well. Uh, once I get around to finishing the mixes, um, we'll do we'll do someday. Oh yeah, absolutely. And do you have any contact with the then Dan twins? You did the collaboration with them in the states uh, a good few years ago. Uh, no, yeah, that, was, yeah. that was last year. Uh, those those guys are based in uh, Houston, Texas, and I think mm. they're from the same. Same sort of syndicate that uh, K Reno is from. So K Reno probably one of the most successful rap artists from that part of the world. And uh, yeah, they're in his group SPC Two G. I think it's called South Park Coalition. Cool. Them guys. Uh, them guys um, noticed me. I think through uh, West Nile as well. He's done stuff with them. So 
Um, that that was just something that listen, it came together. They wanted like I think it was eight or sixteen bars, and I just threw down something quick, just to send it over and be involved because like it was sort of spontaneous like that. If I see something and hear something that I like, then uh, if I have the time, I'll jump on it. And it just so happened that what I was what I did for them came together. And mm. There's a lot of to put together a cipher. I think there was like twenty or thirty MCs on that uh, cipher. So. Yeah, it's good to be involved in stuff like that. I um, enjoy doing different things, so stuff like that is nice. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Because um, there was a loss there. Um, you were doing stuff with them, and then you obviously have your own uh, label, which is probably still going. It's the, the Loud Village Productions. Are you still working with that name? Yeah, do you know what? Loud Village, yeah. I'm from Loud Village in County Loud originally. Yeah. So Loud Village is something that... Uh, emerged in my mind over the years but I think more than a label it sort of encompasses everything that I do mm-hmm. uh, from events to video to music to audio stuff and uh, it's just something that I like keeping as an umbrella to keep everything on yeah. the, keep everything yeah. neat yeah. Um, it's like your own incorporated your own INC basically like yeah so it's just like, a, just like an umbrella term for every yeah. bit of output because like if if you're just going off my artist page on Facebook, it's been in stasis for like probably five or six years. But in t- in terms of everything that I do, um, all of the audio and video type stuff comes out through Loud Village. Like on the uh, on the YouTube channel, I think mm. we've got like possibly four hundred thousand views or something, and thousand and a half followers at the minute. So that's great. Or thousand and a half subscribers. So that's fairly healthy, though. Yeah. Is it handy to have all that? Like, to be honest, I don't don't ever look at the numbers or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. But it's something that other people place a value on, and uh, I don't like being undervalued. So if someone comes yeah. to me for a video of something, I say, listen, I can host it on my channel. There's like four or five hundred thousand views and the thousand and a half subscribers there, or whatever. So it'll give it a little bit of a boost at the start. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But, I suppose um, we, we all can get bogged down in numbers as well. And it's like when you start looking at stats and numbers all the time that's when you sort of lose a little bit of that creative edge just too, because you know, you're worried about that. And then if that's in the back of your mind, every time you go to create something and that's, that's kind of killing the creative side of it too. Isn't it? Like, well, you know, a lot of, uh, I've noticed since I, since I stepped into the, the, the craft arena, creating my own um, art and stuff that uh, a lot of the people who I meet in similar circles, they have absolutely no business intellect like at all it's just like they're, they're creative and they can yeah. spend two days making something and selling it for 20 euros you know it's like yeah it doesn't make any sense so mm-hmm. it, i think what what happened in the last decade or so is that with the the changes in the music industry for example that musicians had to get their shit together and they needed to realize listen i'm my own manager i'm my own producer i'm my own gig like I'm, like I have to get my own gigs. I have to yeah. have to do everything basically yeah. myself. So I think a lot of musicians would, well, every musician would prefer to have all that stuff looked after, and you just focus on the music. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, a probably difficult time for a lot of people, and uh, who knows where it's going to go. But as with anything, the ones who can adapt quickest to those situations are probably the ones who'll fare out the best. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've always been a proponent that hard work wins out over skill like you know what I mean so whoever puts in the work I think is uh, the one that might reap the rewards from it you know 
I think that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like you'll see it a lot, um, especially lately. And uh, I'm interested to get your take and your opinion on the documentary a lot of people have been talking about, which is the origins of Irish hip hop, which was just released recently. Now I know this is something that's probably been in the pipeline. RT were involved in. Um, I think they were filming this back in 2017, uh, compiling all the interviews and getting people on board. But for you as an MC, the beat maker, what's really interesting for me is to hear your perspective on that documentary. I assume you've probably seen it. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, when, when I saw that this documentary was coming out, as with all things Irish hip hop, I was very excited to see how they did it. Uh, obviously, there's been some some documentaries in the past who may, maybe haven't done done what the scene would have uh, expected or wanted. Mm. Um, with this one, I think it was very well produced documentary. Um, sort of the, the producers and stuff should be very happy with that. Mm. Um, I think everybody who got who got to have their input in it done a great job. Um, like, it, and I'm not going to come out and slate the documentary. I think it's, yeah, yeah. It's a, positive thing um but the, the critical side of having been involved in this for so long i think there was an awful lot of people who were shortchanged and uh like it, for me history is something that you can't change so yeah. document it yeah you should you, you document it as well as possible um the, you know, the the title for one thing is all wrong it should have been the origins of irish rap to be honest uh, there's yeah, so yeah, many yeah. there's so many people involved in the scene yeah. that I didn't see on it and even I, I know there's people out there who would say I should have been on that I should have been on that yeah, shit because yeah. I, I should have been on it I'm not like that man. I prefer to see other people who I personally had connections with and I saw performing hundreds of events and I saw putting in the work and I saw doing this and doing that but some of those people were in there and uh as I said, they did they, done well on it. To me, he's, he's one of the omissions that should have been on it. The, the path that it took going through all of the rappers, the fact that it left out terrorists, for me personally, um, that was probably the biggest the biggest issue with it, apart mm-hmm. from the name. Because uh, as I said, I've been around the breakdancers a lot and uh, the DJs and the beatboxers and some of the graphic artists as well, maybe not mm-hmm. as much, but I, I know how much work has been put in. Even like, Belfast City Breakers, for one, are an active crew on, mm. in Ireland who go back to like the 80s. And yeah, uh, I, I don't think there's any mention of them. It's funny, guys, um, yeah. Uh, Bazzy B's been doing stuff in Limerick for like, just actually all, all of the, the B boys and all of the, all of the other people. And they, they, like, obviously, great hearing from people like Mark Murphy from Choice Cuts. And, okay, uh, yeah. You know, people, people know the stuff. Um, would have liked to see All City, their take on it. Mm. Obviously, they organised the All City Jam for years. Mm. Um, and then the likes of Rask and Drod, who's been organising the Bridge Jam, I think since 92, it's the, it's the longest running graph jam in the world. Wow. No, yeah. mention, of, like, no mention of that in a, in a Irish hip-hop documentary. It's funny that, yeah. It, it just all plays back into the fact that it should have been the origins of rap, because mm. hip-hop is the culture. Um, I suppose that's been a bit anal about it, but like when you when you think about being involved in something 
Mm. You want the outside world, if it's been represented in a documentary, you want the outside world to see it as it is. Yeah, yeah. Rather than look at, say, the one side of it. Like, a, I don't know, like, look, it was a good documentary. Um, it done it done the job for a lot of people yeah. that was on there, and I hope they all benefit from it. Mm. Uh, I think there is a, there is like a, there is a bit of a, a splashback from it with a lot of people who feel kind of hard to unbuy yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but like it, you can't everyone that i've met in this scene over the years you couldn't fit everybody into something you, like yeah this. you can't please everyone yeah. you can't you can't, can't please everyone but yeah there, there, as i said there's a few people that should have been on there yeah maybe maybe, maybe even quite a number of people but uh yeah it's done done a good job um in in terms of a few people contacted me and said why were you not on that and you should have been involved in that for various different stuff that i was involved in and uh, my response is, listen, they're not going to fit everyone on. And there's a lot of people who deserve to be on it more yeah, than me. Yeah. And especially the focus, with, with the focus being on rap, like there was an awful lot of MCs, obviously, yeah. batting way above where I would be on the, the lyrical stage. So, yeah, there's... Um, but there is scope. Like with something like that, uh, the fact that Red Bull are interested in filming it then, or getting it, commissioned or however they were involved in it then it's a good thing um because red rebel obviously run all of those uh those different workshops for producers mm -hmm. and stuff all these yeah. years and the, yeah the surprising part for me was they actually ran uh heats for red bull bc1 mm -hmm. uh it's a b-boy competition they ran them here a few years ago yeah, yeah, yeah. um i think i remember that actually yeah like, like to, to to leave out the b-boys when they knew of their existence was, was a bit of a strange one for me yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like uh, as I said, as I said, it's something to build on. It's a, mm. it's a good thing to see. It's good, it's good for all the acts that run it. Um, but uh, like my knee jerk reaction to, to the documentary was to set up a page called Irish Hip Hop History. Yeah, yeah. Where everybody, where everybody involved, I invited a lot of people immediately who I knew would share stories straight away, mm. and uh, give it some credibility. So uh, you know, from all of the different elements of hip hop, so. Uh, what what happened was uh, was pretty good. A lot of people started sharing stories of the history, stuff yeah. that other people mightn't have heard, or stuff that, say, a rapper mightn't have been interested in before now. And now, like, it's just opened up. It's it's opened up history to everybody, and everybody yeah. has an equal input into it. it no one's of, gonna feel hard done by on the page, and it's yeah, gonna yeah. document. Like, in the future, if anybody wants to film an Irish hip hop history documentary. It's going to be the go-to page because everybody who they need to talk to is going to be on there. Yeah, all the yeah. stories that could like spark some inspiration for the flow of the documentary or whatever mm -hmm. could be on there. There's an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of info on there already. It's only been set up like three or four weeks, and you got a lot of the key stakeholders in the scene, especially from my era, and a lot from before my era. Uh, probably less of the newer guys, but. To be honest, we we are seeing and hearing a lot of the newer guys, and obviously they're as welcome as anyone else to join the page and share their own stories and mm. their own inspirations and how to start it or whatever. Yeah, so, it, yeah, all good. Well, that's that's cool. I mean, like, um, I really enjoyed it too. I mean, uh, but I did have a feeling in the back of my mind that, ooh, you know, this could have been longer. Um, I actually spoke to an MC quite recently, and he said they could have easily made that two and a half hours long, but like. Things for TV, it's very hard to do that, condense everything and have everybody involved in it. Kind of like, um, I was really impressed by the coverage 
that the scene got itself um, as a genre. I think it's very important to document that. But what I would like to see them do at the likes of Red Bull is like, you know, do an urban culture series. Don't just like specifically focus on hip hop, which is, which is yes, important and uh, spearheaded the whole thing. But like, what would be really cool? Why not do like a, a, the next documentary on the graph scene in Ireland? Go back to the days of Grift. Go back to the days of, uh, what were they called? The see something, you'd see it everywhere, written on dart stations all over Dublin. Something, the wrecking crew or see something wrecking crew, I can't remember what they were called exactly, but they were, they wrote with Grift. And out of that scene, you got the likes of Mazer and stuff like that. That would be really cool to see, like, let's go back to kind of the mid to late 90s into right through to the 2000s and, you know, the origins of the graph scene in Dublin or, or in Ireland. Because he got a lot of collaboration there between various different counties. There was people from the north that were coming down from Cape Walls as well. So there's, yeah, there's think, a lot of scope there. I think, I think something like that would be very, very interesting. And like, if you look at the likes of Waterford Walls and uh, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of different stuff popping up in Ireland. I think they're doing something similar in Dundalk now. Um, and Limerick has always promoted graffiti, um, like Make a Move Festival down there and mm. the festival I was involved in later on, bringing it back. Like There's a lot of active graffiti artists in every city in the country yes. and uh, people are embracing it and it's something something that probably could uh, could grow legs um obviously then the djs yeah. yeah it was viable to have a documentary just about djs and, course, yeah you could have your own series for each individual kind of genre that was yeah, it's something that i have seen mm-hmm. i have seen that suggested by a few people that that's the route that they should have took but who knows maybe maybe they're gonna do that yeah or maybe someone else will do it like it's yeah. something that I've discussed with people over the last few years about documenting all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's something that could well happen. I mean, with the life, maybe, 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 maybe I'll go do it myself. <laughs> yeah. If I can find some time. Maybe we, we can get a camera crew behind us, Mexi, and we can do it. And we can host the live events and the premieres and all that kind of stuff. Who knows? Yeah, you know what, man? I am a one man camera crew as it is. So, yeah, it could, could happen if, if I could find the time. If I could find the time, it's something that I'd be interested in. Absolutely. And the thing is about the whole thing, like, I mean, the way the Irish hip hop scene is going and and the amount of attention it's grabbed, and you know, with the likes of of, uh, people like individuals like Shyla, I know she was kind of heavily promoted on this one, um, just as kind of a real upcoming star and all those things. But the likes of them, uh, Mango X Math Man, Versatile, who knows like where this is going to go? I mean, it could at some day get to the point that it gets Netflix attention and it gets, do you know what I mean? It, once these people go abroad and start being able to tour again and gain the attention and gain various different followers and that and set out gigs, you know, I mean, who's to say what could happen next? You know, this is kind of the exciting point. I think, in my opinion, where we are right now, there's so much going on there. That it's but, it's definitely could grow at an exponential rate. Yeah, but like, as as with anything, um, anything can grow legs if you put in the effort, and it's only a matter of getting the attention. And then, so like, yeah, any any act that puts in the work and, mm. and is good, and you know what, any if anyone can anyone can blow up over like not overnight, but like, as any musician knows, you work on this stuff for years, and then it's like you get a review or a magazine or something or an online easy and 
it's like uh, oh yeah the brand new talent or whatever like yeah yeah no you're not brand new you've been doing this for years like you know what it's i mean true. But, it's true um yeah uh, any, anybody anybody has the, the potential mm. to blow up or succeed and for me success is something that should be measured yourself and not not by anyone else so and mm. um, i would look at mango and matt man and say yeah they're, they're already successful they're already doing they're already doing really good uh same with a lot of those other rappers that you're hearing on the radio nowadays like mm. there's one of the days last week on 2fm i think i heard three irish rappers in a row Brilliant. and uh i was like this is during the daytime i'm like this is mm. something you would have only heard when i was that age you would only hear this on a saturday night on big smoke wes darcy yeah um, but yeah the, it's, it's good to hear it's good to see everyone getting those, that success and uh getting the recognition they deserve you know mm-hmm. definitely definitely uh what's kind of what's next for um for you and for your label uh what must i say should i even use the word label uh well yeah i guess for your umbrella label like um Live Village Productions, kind of what's what's next for you? What what do you really want to do, or what you really want to finish? Yeah, so uh, uh, moving house at the moment, uh, basically to have more space. So I'm going to build a studio, proper studio, cool. in my new back garden, and uh, get all of my gear together. It's probably never all been turned on at the same time. All of my equipment, I got so oh, much yeah. stuff from over the years, but cool. Yeah, um, I'm hoping to uh, hoping to retire now. Yeah. This age, no, I'm only joking. I'll never, hang up, hang up the gloves. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'm a workaholic. I'm never going to retire. So, yeah, yeah the, uh, the plan is get that studio built, and that's my space for creating hopefully future, um, future classics. But cool. Yeah, I've got, I've got probably, I've got an album nearly ready to go. Uh, just trying to think of the best way to do it because, uh, the last, the last release I had was in 2012 or 2013. So okay, well, it's not too long ago. I mean. Yeah, but the, the world has changed since then, and uh, mm. it keeps changing. And um, I'm just just trying to figure out the best way to to put it out. Maybe maybe a video for each track or something. But yeah, so it's all it's all time dependent for me. And the basically the effort to reward ratio. Yeah. Um, there there is some videos filmed in the last five years and stuff that I'm sort of waiting to put out at the right time when I've got a plan together because. In some regards, uh, I'm pretty random, and other regards, I'm very clinically uh, precise with stuff. So, just gotta make the two meet in the middle and and see what happens. Um, like like my last solo album. Uh, what I say, solo album is a lie. Anything I release has other people featuring. But yeah, yeah. my last album has uh, CMX or Mexi or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all different types of music on it. Yeah, and. Uh, that that's probably someone asked me before, like, what, why, why you put dance in a rap album? And I'm like, who, who said it was a rap album? Yeah. Who said you it was a rap album? I guess they're associating album. you with the with the actual material. Go well, I've always known you as an MC. Yeah, you know, so, so. someone said that to me. They said, yeah, but why are you putting dance in that album when you have rap on it? I'm like, because I can. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's my album. Uh, the mu- all of the music on it is mine. Yeah. The the guests are there because me, they like what I do and. They, they added to a certain piece of music that they're on. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's that simple. Like the next album is going to be no different. It's going to be a bit of hip hop, rap, bit of drum and bass, bit of uh, just, just one song that I'd be putting on. It's just piano. Cool. Um, 
just whatever I feel like needs to be on there or be on there. Like, mm-hmm. so there's dance checks, tracks there. I'm actually work, uh, working with a singer at the minute who uh, she had a release on Paul Oakenfold's label. Wow. She's putting lyrics down to one of my trancier tracks okay. for the album. Um, working with a girl called Mina Royal from a new Irish funk band mm-hmm. uh, called Funk Soul Mothers. She's uh, she just the song with her possibly gonna be on it's a it's a cheesiest sounding nineties tune with rap <laughs> on it. Didn't like if if I'm happy, then I'm happy with lyrics. That's all I, I don't need to I don't need yeah. to please anyone else with my own album, you know. So Yeah, but that's all meant to be popular now again. The whole nineties yeah, theme stuff, you know. I'm not even concerned about popular. I, I've always just tried I mean, like I I put the emphasis on the word tried. Always tried to make music that I listened to myself. And yeah. um, listening back now, I'm like, Jesus, what was, what was twenty five year old Mexi listening to? Do you know what I mean? But, <laughs> yeah, obviously, obviously, in the early days for me, the the, the problem was uh, to make something, to make music, say in the nineties, that I wanted to make probably would have cost hundreds of thousands at that time. But yeah. obviously now with VSTs and stuff, you can do that stuff very easily for for a lot less, you know? Yeah, which is amazing, which does make the whole craft process a lot easier too. I'm sure. Does it. Anything that makes people easier to get involved in something creative, I'm all for, like totally. Yeah, yeah. And like, um, say when we do get to sort of uh, perform again, get into venues again, uh, would you consider hosting? events again would you consider hosting gigs or is that something that you've kind of moved away from uh i've never actively distanced myself from anything um basically what happens with me is that uh i get going on a successful run of doing something mm-hmm. and uh then uh, sometimes that peters off and i've taken on something else and it's it's like a, you're trying to replace that uh that sine wave is on the way down and i want to get another one coming on the way up so it's yeah, like yeah. constant constantly busy um, I don't know if it's subconscious or if I consciously do that, but, but uh, I'm always always busy with something, whether it's yeah. music or art or business or whatever. I'm always um, always actively looking forward. Um, mm. Yeah, so with hosting events, I'm always always ready to host an event. I'm always ready to film something. I'm always ready to do music. Um, um, yeah, just just always. Uh, always active and what one of the things that I had planned uh for this year was a uh, an event um it was an event that was gonna be like sort of half a live event and half educational yeah. so w- what I was gonna do was um was basically a stage show in theaters and venues where I would talk about how music is created yeah along with live performances and guests so it would be pretty much demoing synthesizers drum machines loop pedals um all that kind of stuff and performing live and showing people how songs are made from start to finish Um, that's a really cool idea that's almost like um do you remember what vh1 used to do behind the music kind of stuff would have would have been kind of style like that in your mind um i I think for me with, with the way that my career has gone I believe, might be wrong, but I believe that I'm in a, in a unique position 
to um like i've run an awful lot of workshops for kids and teenagers yeah. and adults in music production mm-hmm. around loads of different like the ferrogas and the youth clubs and even youth reach and cross-border stuff cool. up north um, yeah, yeah. and arts festivals like one of my things is passing on the knowledge that i've learned yeah. um so the, yeah doing that and having experience with events mm-hmm. and having experience performing and even at the end of these i was planning like a like a question and answer session for musicians to ask questions because i only realize when i'm talking to other musicians that i've gained an awful lot of inside knowledge and stuff that can save people time you know what i mean so i've got mm-hmm. a lot of contacts got a lot of info on how to get music to people how to get gigs how to maybe create a unique niche for yourself uh, got all that knowledge along with the technical knowledge behind production um so yeah i've got a well-rounded like idea of what a, um a lot of different sides of the music industry you know yeah. like like i done sound engineering and sound mm-hmm. training center in 97 and since then i've been actively involved in music in one way or another since then yeah. so yeah, but I, I actually don't realize how much um, so much knowledge that I've yeah. like I'd done a business course last year just to get familiar with some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, that I needed for lots of different like, things. So yeah. there was a couple of musicians on that course, mm-hmm. and they were asking the lecturers questions, and the lectures were more business. Yeah. Like the business side of not even music, like just regular business stuff. Yeah. I just found that like, the answer I had actually got the answers to all those guys' questions. Mm-hmm. But I think creating something structured where you have the authority to stand on a stage and say, yes, I have the answer to that question. I have the answer to that question. That one, I'm not sure what I can find out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you know, having all of that is uh, is something that I would like to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, was this course kind of an e-commerce-based course? Like, was it, kind uh, of- it, was, it was e-commerce. It was just, it was a level six business planning yeah. yeah, it's true to Springboard, uh, oh, yeah, spring, yeah. springboard and Griffith College. So it was something that I just needed to tie off a few loose ends in my organization of all of the mm. different things that I do. So cool. um, yeah, it, it just sparked something when, when these musicians on the course were asking questions. I wasn't even there. I didn't even say that I was involved in music. Mm. Um, but yeah, I could answer all of their questions. And I was like, right, maybe there is a... Because I, I know that I did a production did a production workshop at Carrick McCross Arts Festival a few years ago and the guys that turned up I never actually even got to turn on the equipment they had so many questions mm. and I was able to answer all of their questions so they went away with everything that they needed mm-hmm. and I was like whoa maybe there's a maybe there is a market out there for this from musicians even not in the hip hop scene but across every every style of music that there's people that might know how to even record a song or Definitely. How to get it online, or how to get gigs, or how to promote themselves, or how to get a video shot. So, yeah, you don't have access to all that knowledge. So, yeah, sharing that is something. Yeah. It's, it's something that I'm gonna. I was committed to doing it this year, but yeah, obviously things took a drastic turn. Yeah. Totally, totally. So it's a very hard thing to do now. I know, but um, no, hopefully, um, in the near future when things do calm down a bit, I think it's gonna be like this for a while. We're gonna be in this back and forth situation where, you know general populace is actually okay and everyone's healthy and then they get a spike again and then we're back to some kind of new restrictions. I, it's very frustrating, but I think that's just the way things are going to be probably for the next year and a half or so. 
Um, yeah. But, but I guess when you, yeah. You go on. I, I was just thinking like, but we'll get to that point where you'll get these pockets where everything will be okay. And then, then you could just do whatever. You go, okay, I can go out and work with these people. I can collaborate. We can put on this gig. And then I guess that's our little opportunity to get things done, you know? Yeah. For, for me personally, I would say that a lot of promoters, are, like unless you're into gambling, um, like any of my event stuff, I basically shut it down indefinitely. Um, there's, there's no chance like I lost money this year on uh, events that I had booked uh, flights booked for people and stuff and after that I was like I don't want to go through that again I don't want to go through losing money down okay. to like government decisions or restrictions or whatever until yeah. until the coast is clear basically yeah yeah I hear um, and for, for me like uh, like I work a normal job as well so mm. um, the fact I'm in a position where I don't have to rely on promoting or hosting or any of the other stuff that I do yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to sit back and wait until things are back to normal but uh, I, I, I really feel for all the promoters out there and all the venues and mm. everybody involved all the musicians that are like full time at this like I, I do feel for them yeah, what they're going too. through at the minute and uh, I, I don't envy their position at all um, it's tough it really hopefully, is hopefully, hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later yeah yeah you know my 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 opinion of musicians are musicians aren't usually in in the same realm as like your your everyday people who are doing a nine to five or whatever. They're more creative, more emotional, and more susceptible to like uh, negative emotions and stuff. So, mm. you know, I would hope that I hope hope that it's back to some sort of normality soon. You know. Yeah. Because the the other side of it could be could be bad. You know. Yeah, true, true. Um, what, what I was going to talk about was um, the one thing that I'm really missing is uh, the hosting side of things because I feel I got a real flavor for that like going back two years ago when I'd started doing gigs with the likes of Stephen Bonner, uh, aka Deep Reasoning. And what, what I was going to talk about was, do you remember the gig that um, we got you on the roster for? Uh, I felt that you kind of really enjoyed like being in that environment again. So that's kind of why I was kind of hinting at like, you know, when all this is over, you know, we're going to see Mexi back hosting and we're going to see Mexi gracing uh, the stage, so to speak, you know, rival local crowd again. Because that's something that I really do miss. Like, I mean, I was thinking about that a couple of weeks ago and I was like, yeah, fuck, I'd love to get back into venues again. I'd love to do this, I'd love to do that. Do you know what I mean? It's there's something yeah. inside me that still has that fire that like I want to fucking jump off stage and get people rivaled up for an artist and I want to work a room again. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like yeah. I, I personally had great fun with you when we did that. I remember I remember we got you on as well and you you shared the kind of the hosting job for that one. I think it was the I, pro I, pro I probably yeah I probably stepped on your toes there to be honest. Uh, I don't know, no, I, it was all good fun, like you know. <laughs> like if I get on a mic, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to get me off it. Um, <laughs> well, steal the it's, show. It's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah, but obviously, yeah, hosting events um, at some stage. I, I know that I'm going to host other events and know that I'm going to perform other events. Uh, you know, I think uh, the last gig that I done with you guys, mm. um, yourself and Deep Reason and a few of the other guys, I think I think it just brought me loop pedal, and I was uh, I was I think it was the first gig where 
I went without backing tracks mm. and I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I remember just like uh, beatboxing into the microphone and dropped the guitar a bit and a bass bit. And within a yeah. few minutes, I had everyone singing Wonderwall. And yeah. I, re- I realized that I realized that it worked. And, uh, you know, I went on and tried that in some other places and mm. sort of brought, brought the house down with it when people, uh, when people see what you can do without, without anything except your voice. It was, yeah. uh, it was a cool moment for me because like I'd always spent so much money and so much time on all of the equipment and to turn up at a gig with a little loop pedal that cost a hundred quid and a microphone. Yeah. It was sort of liberating that I can command a crowd without anything except for my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Except for my mind and my voice. And, uh, you know, um, that's something that I'm going to expand on. And, uh, I, I did put up a little video recently where I, I had a totally original song just on using vocals and mm. uh, put that up a few weeks ago and uh, a lot of people were digging it so mm. um yeah more stuff like that that, that, that was something that excited me Go, yeah. going up live on stage and even the, the next event that i did after that with just the loop pedal i was sort of uh as nervous again i hadn't been nervous in years before a mm. gig mm. because i had no backup i didn't have a cd that would keep playing if you know if you forget your lyrics or your mic cuts off or if anything happens but I think I've learned at this stage in my life that I can handle it. Whatever happens, I can handle it. And mm. if I can handle it, it means something's happened that I've no control over whatsoever. And nobody else has either. So, yes. um, yeah, but uh, look, looking forward to getting back here with the, the loop pedal now. And uh, sure. should be, should be exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it, it, it is one of those things that I wanted to tie in with my, uh, with my live show that, mm. Yeah, do a beatbox demo and maybe get someone from the crowd to sing a totally interactive thing that yeah yeah everyone can get involved in you know you need that it's almost people expect that too when they go to a, a hip-hop show that there is that level of crowd interaction and not, yeah. and not not always at the start people are willing to participate but they always kind of get into it like you know which is great and i think uh, when we did those gigs and when we had that one where with you uh you on the roster there as an artist there uh, I think that the um, the international bar really does play good host to uh, hip hop gigs because downstairs is so small and so intimate that you know it's very much like you could have forty or fifty people in a, in the room downstairs and the place is packed. Do you know what I mean? Like you could easily yeah. get away with that. Like I, I know that was always a challenge as well for us was to kind of um, you know let's get that hundred people in like. It's international bar. Do you know what I mean? You can barely fit a hundred people in the whole place as it is. I think upstairs yeah. has a capacity for maybe 150, 160 people at a squeeze, but they do seven nights. Or they do comedy seven nights a week, or used to when they were open anyway. Yeah. So it was always kind of a challenge as well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought it was good space for it, and I think you know we could probably use that in the future too. I mean, we've done other, we've done other events, you know, and we've done a. What's the, the venue on Dame Street there, uh, other music venue, where we had the launch party, the dopamine launch party, we had that there too. Uh, could be a different venue. It's a little bit bigger. I think it has a capacity for maybe 200 people. Also, we did that back in November. So that was for uh, Deep Reason's uh, launch party for the dopamine single, which uh, the video was shot for as well. So that was kind of interesting because you had the idea of, I was hosting the event. We had um, 
uh, two or three different MCs on, uh, and then we, we we showcased the video too. So we had a projector screen, so we kind of previewed yeah. the, the actual video too, and that was interesting too. Uh, but yeah, I mean that was the the last live event that we did, and then of course the pandemic hit, and you can't do anything. So I mean, yeah, I mean I'm I'm edging to go back and do something again. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely I'm, yeah I'm all I'm all up for collaborating again too. You know so something that we can look into in the future definitely yeah you, you know where i am uh yeah. always open to things and always up for stuff uh, cool cool you know I, I had a mantra for probably 15 years that i wouldn't say no to anything yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh you know probably in the last five i've just had to be more um m m obviously more constraints than me now being a parent and uh mm -hmm. Got so much other stuff going on that uh, sometimes yeah. I end up having to say no, which which hurts because I just wish that I could clone myself at this stage. You know, but yeah. Obviously, we're going into the realms of sci-fi there, but <laughs> yeah, that's it. Being a dad's gonna be tough as well, you know. Yeah, it's tough and uh, obviously rewarding as well. So mm -hmm. the effort to reward ratio pretty good on that one. Yeah. So yeah, it's a pretty pretty easy choice most of the time. Most of the time. Oh yeah, family first. No matter what, family first, Toti. Oh, big time, yeah. Well, uh, listen, Maxi, it was a pleasure talking to you, and thanks for for joining me on DP's Greatest Circus. It's been Excellent. a nice, insightful journey into the life of an MC, the life of a of a of a beat maker and a producer, and, and uh, you've been around for a fair bit on the scene, and it, it, I'm always kind of. Um, really interested and grateful to talk to someone that has been kind of involved in, in, in within that scene and, and being an active participant in it for quite a long time now. I mean, if you go back stemming what you've done in your career, you know, mid to late 90s, right up to now, that's that's some back catalogue of stuff, you know? So, yeah, yeah, an awful lot of, uh, as I said, it's an awful lot of knowledge um, that I've built up. And uh, always still learning, never, never fully there. Yeah. Um, I remember we were talking earlier on about uh, uh, critical feedback for people. I remember one of the last things that I said to an upcoming producer. Yeah. I think he was about nineteen or something. He said, "Listen, man, I can give you some advice on uh, how to get those drums sounding better or whatever." Yeah. And his reply was, uh, "I don't need to know, man. I know everything about production." And I was like, oh, really? At nineteen yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah. You could have, mm, I beg to differ, but uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get into arguments yeah, anymore. Yeah, but, uh, that's gas, isn't it? 19. God yeah, it's, it's funny. I should have put them in contact with like. Uh, well, this is it. This is the new generation. They all think they're Drake and they all think they're, they're you know, yeah, you know Kanye I, West, you know? So it's like. You know, I, have a, I have a lot of time for people with confidence. Yeah. I know but, that. Uh, but his I, heart's I in the right place people. anyway, you know? Yeah, Irish people have a problem with confidence, and uh, don't be if people are overconfident to come across as cocky. Yeah. Um, I remember even at school, people people who were confident in my class at school, it was just like they were cocky fuckers. I like, know. I know. In, in reality, yeah, that... uh, it's it's one of those things that stands to you. Yeah. I, I was I've always been probably overconfident in anything that I've done, and always uh, always trying to bat above where yeah. I think I am, and yeah. Uh, Never, never shout anyone down or whatever. Yeah. For being confident about themselves because uh, it's one of those things that uh, would stand to you. Yeah, totally. I mean, that, that's, that, that's the thing. 
that's the thing though it's a typical irish trade isn't it it's terrible like i mean i've always tried to move myself away from that too because i, I really admire when someone comes across with confidence and an authority in a subject and you see their their the you know you see their their kind of their skill and what they're able to do and you know they put their money where their mouth is at the end of the day and you know i always applaud that i you know i've had this attitude for years now where i'm like well fair play to him you know you know what people talk about ah oh, he only got that position because he's you know yeah, so, yeah. so i was like well maybe that's not the case you know what i mean and then you hear their music or you're here they're like, no actually they're really fucking talented that's why they're throughout where they are you know what i mean so like yeah the mixture of talent and luck and that confidence to go and do stuff you know yeah yeah totally totally anyway um it's been an absolute pleasure it's been an honor to talk to you uh Maxi, and i uh, really appreciate you joining Same the that. Squared circus cheers man and uh Sure, listen, uh, we'll be in touch again soon and uh, I'd love to hear how you're getting on kind of the next sort of five to six months kind of thing or, or should we even go down that road yet? But uh, no, we, I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of um, what you do in this creative space now. Uh, I'll be looking forward to listening to your new album this, when it drops. Whenever, whenever it drops. Yeah, whenever it 2025 drops. probably is where it's going yeah, there's no rush. There's no, no rush on you to do anything. So it's the one thing we do have now is we have to give the time. Make the most yeah. Things we all use. Give it time on it. Yeah. And best of luck to you with the podcast and everything, man, and future events and stuff. Thank you very much, man. Really appreciate. It. Cheers. You man. need any? You need any pointers or anything? Give me a shout. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. I got your number anyway, so Excellent. give me a WhatsApp message or, or we'll have a chat again soon. All right. Take care. Awesome, man. man. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you having me much. on. Cheers. No problem. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. See you later.